Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada. Today is part two of a three-part series on lament, what it is, how to do it. And Yesterday I did lament part one, titled Pain Everywhere, but we often don't know how to express it introduced the subject and I looked at what happens when we allow grief to take over and improperly expressed can lead to depression, anger, or bitterness. I showed three biblical people who allowed that to happen, Jacob, Mrs. Job, and Naomi. So today I will look at two biblical figures who expressed their grief in laments properly, which surprisingly even included complaining. That's David and Job. I'm reminded of the verse from Lamentations 122 that says, for my groans are many and my heart is faint. I sympathize with people who are going through a grievous time and finding the mass of emotions associated with it hard to express, but we can always turn to the Bible to see what to do and how it's done. And that includes seeing the man of sorrows and he even lamented and was grieved himself. But let's look at complaining first. We read in many verses um, not to complain. For example, Philippians 2.14, do all things without grumbling or questioning. James 5.9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Or 1 Peter 4.9, show hospitality to one another, without grumbling. And 1 Corinthians 10.10 reminds us of the Exodus, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So how can complaining in any way be good? The Lord destroyed those in the desert who complained. Well, first, let's look at a definition of complaining, murmuring, and grumbling, just to see if they are indeed synonyms. We see murmur, and that, according to the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, is denotes the semi-articulated mutterings of disaffected persons. That's a good definition. It's kind of what Miriam was doing, wasn't she? Um, Semi-articulated mutterings, disaffected with her brother Moses. And we see the definition of grumble, speaking words of complaint, expressing dissatisfaction, or implying a failure of proper relationship from the Dictionary of Biblical Languages. 
And thirdly, we see complain. There's a couple different definitions for that. First, an expression of grief or pain or dissatisfaction. Or two, a complaint is something that is the cause of a subject of protest or outcry. Or even a compl- to complain a body- bodily ailment or a disease. Well, I guess murmuring, grumbling, and complaining are close enough in meaning to be synonyms, which again, the Bible cautions us not to do. Then why does the Bible show David as a man after God's own heart, even though so many of the Psalms he wrote are full of complaints? And why is Job held to such a standard of faith when most of the first chapters of his book are complaints. Yet, despite all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job 1.22a. Well, let's dig in. When we're experiencing deep grief, oftentimes we cannot even think straight, and a roil of emotions comes bubbling up, and often comes out. We're angry, our flesh wants to blame or accuse or otherwise vent about the thing that has happened to us. Now, I quote a lot from Mark Vrogop from his wonderful book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. His name is spelled V-R-O-E-G-O-P, Vrogop. Deep cloud, dark clouds, deep mercy. And he said at the beginning of his book, of a period when he was going through some grief, that the grief felt cruel. I'm going to quote from his book next. Um, Vrogop shows that there is a process to lamenting. And in his book, he shows it first begins with prayer, of course. We always turn to the Lord first, next, and last. He shows how to pray through the Psalms and Lamentations, which I found very helpful. He shows how. And then he says this, quote, After we take our first step of turning to God in prayer, the next step is bringing our complaints to him. Now, there's a tension here. I'm sure you already feel it. Complain isn't a very positive word. We don't like complainers. And it seems like the wrong response. Is complaining always wrong? That was Mark Rogop from his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, Discovering the Grace of Lament. Now, as mentioned, lamenting is a process, and it's more clearly and, of course, scripturally outlined in his book, which is too long to go into in a blog. Uh, But complaining can be an acceptable next step after you set your prayers before the throne of God. I'll quote from his book again. If you read the Psalms of Lament, you'll discover a lot of creative complaining. You You'll find expressions of sorrow, fear, frustration, and even confusion. 
In other words, the Bible is full of complaints. And apparently some of these were not sinful. In fact, they were set to music as an entire congregation sang their frustration. End quote. But here comes the tension the author mentioned above. There is a difference between sinful venting and godly complaint. He continues, quote, Now don't get me wrong, I am not giving you permission to vent self-centered rage at God when life has not turned out as you planned. I'm not suggesting for a second you have a right to be angry with God, end quote. I'm so glad that he worded that strongly. It's good and right. We saw too many verses above that I quoted, warning against murmuring and grumbling and complaining. If the Lord gives us quail, we eat quail. If he gives us the death of a loved one, we lament the loss, but properly. And how do we complain and not sin? Well, let's take a look at Psalm 10. It begins with two strong complaints. Here's verse 1. Why do you stand so far away, Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Well, the psalmist is complaining there that the Lord seems far away in a time of what seems to be a national crisis of injustice. And God seemed distant to the psalmist and as a result, unhelpful. So that lament shows us the human condition in a state of grief is common to many, asking, where is God in this? The psalmist even kind of accuses God in the second line, charging him with a pointed disinterest. Remember that line says, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Other psalms deal with this feeling too of pain and struggling with God. Like, where is God in the midst of this? We see that same question, complaint in Psalm 22, 1, Psalm 44, 22 to 23, Psalm 80, 12, and Psalm 88, 14. I'm going to read those lines right now. Psalm 22, 1 famously said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my help are the words of my groaning. Psalm 44, wake yourself up. Why do you sleep, Lord? Awake, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? In this complaint from Psalm 80, 12, why have you broken down its hedges so that all who pass this way pick its fruit? In Psalm 88, 14, Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Now, there are other songs that psalms that don't only ask why, but ask how. Like, they complain of how long, O oh Lord. But there are some important things to remember as you cry out to God in your pain and lay out your frustrations before the throne. This is Rogop again. And remember, this is summarized. It's well laid out in the book. This isn't all there is to it. 
first, we come humble. Proud demanding questions from a heart that is believe it's owed something from God is never going to properly lament. So humility should be the basis. Secondly, we pray the Bible. We need the boundary of biblical language to keep our laments on track. And we need to be honest. Even Jesus prayed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So take comfort in that. The triune God is not surprised by your struggles or your frustrations. And here's one that I think is the most important. Don't just complain. Don't get stuck in a cycle of laments that are solely complaints. Complaint is not an end in itself. It was for Naomi, but we complain for the purpose of moving past it and toward him. Most of that was summarized from Vrogop's book, page 50 to 54. Now, David composed many psalms, and some of them were laments. He mourned the state of the nation. He mourned injustice. He lamented his personal sin and more. David wailed, complained, asked, and ultimately, every time, though, he rejoiced. You notice always this turning point in his psalms where we see the word but or yet. And that is the moment David is turning from his own frustrations and grief and complaints. And this turning point hinges on trust. And trust leads to worship. Grief properly expressed is worship. Now, Job was the same. He had the same progression. He had human questions and complaints, but he ended in humble worship. For example, throughout chapter 23, Job complains of two things, which are summarized in verse 17. But I am not destroyed by darkness, nor by deep gloom, which covers me. Now, in that verse, Job complains of two things. First, that he was not cut off or removed from the earth before the great darkness fell on his life. And secondly, he was complaining that he was not covered, which means protected by the love and care of God when the dark days came. That is explained by pulpit commentary. And it goes on in the next chapter right away, Job 24.1. Job complains that the wicked seem to prosper and that the Lord seems not to be doing anything about it. Before he finished his complaint for the moment and turned back to the doctrinal discussion with his friends as to why he might be suffering these things. He said in Job 24.1, Why are times not stored up by the Almighty? And why do those who know him, not see his days. Kind of like a way of asking how long, O Lord. Now, David and Job show that questions like, why are things like this? Why are these things happening to me? Lord, don't you love me? Why am I being treated this way? 
These are common questions that Job and David asked, but they were not rebuked for asking them. That's primarily because they came humble, prayed the scriptures, were honest, and didn't just complain. For example, at the end, we see Job. He was rendered nearly speechless as he encountered God. Job 42, 1-6 says, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no plan is impossible for you. Who is this who conceals advice without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Please listen and I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. For I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent, sitting on dust and ashes. Even though Job complained, the Lord confirmed Job's status as one of his own. And the Lord affirmed his satisfaction with Job when he next spoke to Eliphaz. Job 42.7 says, My wrath is kindled against you, Eliphaz, and against your two friends, because you have not spoken of me what is trustworthy, as my servant Job has. So the key seems to be Job and David still held fast and professed confidence in God's divine goodness in the midst of their uh, lamentations. So if Job complained and questioned and wondered, and the Lord declared Job did not sin with his lips and was a trustworthy servant, we can take comfort in the same. If we complain as part of the lamenting process with the same attitude. As Matthew Henry said, Job spoke of the future state more often than his comforters. And he had also prayed and sacrificed for those who were persecuting him. So these godly actions from a true heart, even during the deepest of griefs, are acceptable to God. When we're grieving and we tend to forget others or fail to see the future light at the end of our mourning, then we turn myopic. And that's when selfishness can creep in. So I'll restate that again. Job spoke of the future and he prayed in sacrifice for those who were persecuting him. And godly actions from a true heart, even during the deepest of griefs, are acceptable to God. Let's not turn myopic and forget others or fail to see God's goodness at the end, even if we can't really see it yet. We know it will come. And as long as our grieving complaints and frustrations are poured out based on trusting the Lord and done in prayer, with biblical language as the boundary, 
in humility, perhaps with repentance if necessary, like Job, it seems to me to be acceptable to God. I'd advise reading Rogop's book or his articles, um, which I will link to one of them and quote in just a second. He speaks of the, that narrow tension in the process of lamentation between biblical complaint in grief and accusatory complaint in the flesh. And here is um, him explaining it one more time. I find, quote, I find that most Christians strongly believe that a joyful response should characterize all our suffering. But they don't know how to reconcile their deep questions, their honest struggles, and their nagging doubts with the command to give thanks in all circumstances. The gap between their internal struggles and what they believe or trust can feel like the Grand Canyon of a faith crisis. And instead of stuffing our struggles, lament gives us permission to verbalize the tension. That was Mark Rogop from an article he posted online called Lament Leads to Praise. So tomorrow I'll finish with what lament is and the elements of actually lamenting and also music, how music can figure in to our grieving process. Well, this has been another episode of the End Time Blog Podcast. I'm Elizabeth Prada, and thank you for listening. Hope this has been helpful in some way, and I'm looking forward to composing and publishing tomorrow's final piece about this important subject.